The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Brought to you by Sage Summit Live, the virtual conference that provides all the highlights of Sage Summit from the convenience of your desk. Celebrity entrepreneurs, insightful workshops, absolutely free. Register at sagesummitlivestream.com. So, Dan, are you ready to go out and see Hamilton yet? If I could afford it, but, <laughs> you know, if I were a rich man. But I think I might enroll in your class. How about that? Hey, uh, the more the merrier. Hello and welcome back to the Bloomberg Benchmark Podcast. It's Thursday, August 11th, 2016. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor at Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Daniel Moss, executive editor for global economics at Bloomberg in New York. Now, Dan, I've been away from the show for the last couple of weeks and I just was listening to them and they were practically downers talking about how useless sports stadiums are for economic development, the legacy of slavery in Brazil. What, what was going on? Yeah, you'd think we'd never heard of Michael Phelps. I thought that the piece on slavery in Brazil, given the Olympics and given the swings and roundabouts of Brazilian economics and politics, might have resonated. Guess I was wrong. Anyway, I did think they were really interesting. But today we're going to go for something lighter. Hamilton has become a massive smash hit on Broadway since it opened just about a year ago, and it recently won 11 Tony Awards, including Best Musical. There were some that it was nominated twice in the same category for, like, the actors and things like that, but it couldn't even win those twice, obviously. Anyway, now it's about to make waves across the rest of the country. In late September, it premieres in Chicago for an open-ended run. Then in 2017, it'll start showing in London and also begin a tour around the United States. Right here in D.C., they're doing their best to squeeze the most demand out of a limited supply of tickets. Uh, if you want to be guaranteed to see Hamilton at the Kennedy Center in 2018, you actually need to buy two full seasons worth of subscriptions to see the other shows there. And there are people who are going to do that, right? Sure, sure. Plenty of people. Uh, personally, I haven't seen the show yet, but I've listened to the soundtrack many times. Dan, have you? I was just confessing uh, with Matt earlier. I have not seen it. <laughs> well, e even my two daughters, eight, who are two and four years old, ask to hear the songs in the car and can even recite some of the lyrics. But what makes it so great? It, it, it takes the biography of the first Treasury Secretary and sets it to hip-hop. The songs are not only catchy, but they sometimes take fairly complicated economic and financial concepts and boil them down to really creative songs. And joining us today to talk about it is Matt Rosu, an economics professor at Susquehanna University in central Pennsylvania. Uh, Matt made the trek all the way to New York to be on our podcast and see some Broadway shows with his family. So uh, Matt, thanks so much for being with us today. No, thank you for having me. Matt, how many of your students had actually heard of Alexander Hamilton prior to this buzzy eruption with the Broadway show? Well, I didn't do a poll, but I suspect most of them had heard the name. Uh, now, how many knew what he did? That would have been a much smaller number. 
So how are you incorporating Hamilton into your lessons and using a Broadway production to, you know, teach people about his role in the country and the structure of the place? Sure. What I I love to use songs, uh, usually before class, sometimes during class uh, as a break, <laughs> to help illustrate economic concepts in general. And for Hamilton the musical, it has it has to have about a dozen songs that when you listen to the songs illustrate economic concepts incredibly well and of course i mean it's become a number one you know it's become a best-selling album so it's the kind of thing when students hear economics within hamilton right they want to keep singing these are the types of songs where people will sing over and over and my hope with introducing songs to help teach economics and Hamilton included is that they're singing over and over then all of a sudden they start to get the economic concept over and over and it helps the students learn economics easier better and make it more fun all right uh, let's hold that thought for a moment and listen to some music what we're about to hear is one of my favorite songs from Hamilton and probably the one with the most specific lyrics about finance and economics uh, it, it's called cabinet battle number one so Let's hear a little clip. This is actually going to be uh, the actor playing Thomas Jefferson rapping. Oh, but Hamilton forgets. His plan would have the government assume state debts. Now place your bets as to who that benefits. The very seat of government where Hamilton sits. Not true. So, Matt, let's break that down. What, what is he talking about? It's discussing the federal government assuming the state's debts uh, and really establishing the what was kind of the precursor to the Federal Reserve uh, at the time, establishing a national bank for the first time in this country. And that was, of course, very controversial as you had at that time. You have individuals and states that really want it to be the United States, but it's the state governments that are the primary drivers of the economy, whereas you have others like Hamilton, um, you know, Jefferson's on the state government side, you have others like Alexander Hamilton, who wanted a more a stronger national government. And we're, you know, in the process, we're thinking in order to do this, let's, uh, you know, let's form the National Bank, let's, let's actually run a national debt. And which today, you know, the national debt they were talking about running pales compared to today, today's debt, but at the time, of course, was very controversial uh, to run some national debt as the idea that it would make you know, it would make America seem more credible on the national stage and would actually encourage international trade. Yeah, from this perspective, the development of a national economy looks like it was inevitable, but what you're saying and what the song's implying is wasn't necessarily so. Sure, there were plenty of people who did not want, uh, who would have rather had it be each individual state kind of controls their own destiny or controls their own economy more than a nationally controlled economy. And post-2008, the term bailout is a toxic <laughs> term. Is the song, and as I said, I haven't seen the musical, sure. but does the song kind of imply, ooh, bailout of the states, probably not a good thing, 1%, well, so forth and so on? I think there, I certainly think there's some implications for there. There's also the line, um, you know, the this plan is an outrageous demand and it's too many damn pages for any man to understand. And the moment I heard that line, the first thing I thought of was that we have people in Congress and the Senate who have passed, you know, who passed the stimulus bills or passed who, who voted for um, the Affordable Care Act or, you know, Obamacare, as it's known, without, well, admitting I, I didn't read the plan. And so when I saw that, I thought the lyrics were incredibly relevant to a lot of the problems that we do see today, or at least the, a lot of the issues that are coming up today.
how would you work this specifically into your class lessons and, and, and what specific concepts would you, would you use for this? So for this one, if I'm teaching, um, so for monetary, you know, if I'm teaching about the Federal Reserve, often I'll put this song in ahead of time. And largely for this particular song, uh, and I'll have to um, admit I have not taught macroeconomics since I have had this song at my disposal. What I would probably do is I don't know how much I would integrate it in, in and of itself. Now, I do have discussion questions on my on the website I helped create, uh, broadwayeconomics.com, that professors could use towards this. But what, where I really like to use the music is kind of do the lesson, but then either play the songs before or after to have people realize, you know, these these are issues. These these issues don't have to be dry and dull. These issues are exciting, right? I mean, if you listen to Cabinet Battle Number One, it's like it's a party. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you could have been anywhere in the whole world, but you're in New York, and we're gonna have a cabinet meeting. And you know, it's this riotous event. It's all ex it's exciting, and everybody's thrilled to be there. And it's a rap battle. And usually for music, I'll play pre-class music um, before the students will show up. I'll cue the music to start. Say. Cabinet Battle is about a three-minute song. About three minutes before class starts, I will begin the music. So the downside, some students don't see that. But the upside is it doesn't actually take any class time. And then we ask discussion questions. Okay, we just heard this great song. Where, 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 what are the economic ideas we just saw in this song? So how many of your students and how much of the audience actually knows what the Federal Reserve is, for example? Well, if they're taking the class, they've, they've certainly heard it by the time I get to them. It's a good question as far as I pull them ahead of time. I think most of the students will have at least heard of the Federal Reserve. Well, they know what their roles are coming in as 18 and 19-year-olds, probably less than a quarter kind of know what the Federal Reserve is doing prior to taking uh, principles of macroeconomics class. So really what you're trying to do here is convey to your students that an economy and the development of economic policy, it's a living, breathing thing. It's not preordained. There are people making these decisions. They're bringing their own perspective. They're shaped by their own histories. That's That would be histories with a small h. <laughs> uh, and it's not some giant, preordained, very sort of dry conspiracy. If I get nothing else out of doing the songs, I, I really want my students to think economics is fun. If students come out of economics thinking, this was a great subject, this is entertaining, and yes, you know, the whole idea of the history, maybe I thought that we just evolved and it was just preordained we would be here, as you mentioned. No, this wasn't preordained, right? These were, there were pretty epic battles between Jefferson and Hamilton, and throughout the, you know, and if when, once you start to think about that, you can realize, okay, maybe we're hearing about this one, but what other battles happened throughout our history that caused us to be the way? I mean, the Federal Reserve didn't start until the early 20th century, right? This, this central bank actually w existed for a while, and then its time expired, and it wasn't renewed for a period of time, and then it was renewed again, and it wasn't until the Federal Reserve that we've had one that's now stuck for for about a hundred years. Like I, I'm trying to, I think it was 1916. That's right. That's yeah, right. yeah. But there's still, but there's popular. Uh, opposition or, or maybe skepticism or, or at least or some movement oh, to yeah, yeah. change the structure of the Federal Reserve yeah, System. Yeah. It's been been kind of ossified the way it is for, for, for its 100-year history, and you do hear skepticism on both sides of the political do aisle. Do you think its structure or, is ossified, or are you saying that's just the way it's characterized? Uh, characterized in, in some way. But, but in some ways, the, but the geographic regions of the Fed are certainly ossified, and even Janet Yellen herself said if it were created today, you'd probably have different regional boundaries for, oh, the, sure, for sure. the Fed districts. And, you know, there is that skepticism of 
of cent central money creation that continues in certain political corners to this day, right? Well, yeah, I mean, major presidential candidate, uh, is it, I believe it's Rand Paul, who, you know, his book, was was it, it was either Rand or Ron Paul, I can't remember off the top his of my head. His dad wrote the book. His dad wrote the book. His son, his son continued the, the tradition. And the book's <laughs> titled End the Fed, right? Uh, yeah, and... And it, I mean, it's an issue there. You know, it's 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 an issue where you actually get some in the Republican Party and some in the Democratic Party who uh, would like to see the Federal Reserve either eliminated or modified, or maybe they just don't understand. It's this big entity, and they don't understand what it's doing. And you know, because of that, there's a skepticism for it. All right, let's hold this thought as we pause for a break from our sponsor. Brought to you by Sage Summit Live, the virtual conference that provides all the highlights of Sage Summit from the convenience of your desk. Celebrity entrepreneurs, insightful workshops, absolutely free. Register at sagesummitlivestream.com. Let's go back to the music for a minute and, and play another song. This is a clip from a song called Satisfied, and what, you're, what you'll hear singing or rapping, if you will, is, is the woman who plays Angelica Schuyler singing. She's the sister of Hamilton's love interest, Eliza. So uh, here we go. I'm a girl in a world in which my only job is to marry rich. My father has no son, so I'm the one who has to social climb for one. So I'm the oldest and the wittiest and the gossip in New York City is in so, Matt, you, you say that this actually illustrates a key concept in economics. W yeah. what, what would you say? Yeah, I actually think this is there's kind of two concepts that this song illustrates incredibly well, and that's the idea of trade-offs and the idea of an op of opportunity cost, which are two of the more central ideas trying to teach right at the beginning of well, – an economics education, right? And when I teach uh, principles of macroeconomics, really in the first week, we're hammering on, you know, what what are, what, did, what does it mean to have trade-offs uh, for for an introductory, you know, for an incoming first year, second year, or a second year student? Often they haven't thought about this. Um, the trade-offs in this song, naturally, uh, Angelica Schuyler is thinking through. She, well, she sees Alexander Hamilton, and instantly there's an attraction, and likes him, and talks to him, and thinks this guy is amazing, and is fascinated by him but realizes he's poor and as she's mentioning in the song her job is to marry rich and there's also that alexander might want part of what might be attractive about uh her you know why she might be tr attractive to alexander is that she has a lot of money and the, there's a third the third line mentions how her sister also likes alexander and her sister would say it's okay but she, you know, Angelica says, well, she'd be lying when she says that her sister would be happy if she was with Alexander. And at the end of the song, it seems pretty clear. She thinks she made the right decision, but it really, really pains her. And that's a great idea. The opportunity cost of choosing to be with Alexander would have been not marrying rich, right? And hurting her sister. So marriage, the ultimate economic institution. Ultimate economic institution. Well, I mean, a family. That's unit. where yeah, trade-offs yeah. come in. Trade-offs do come in. And certainly the trade-off, um, you're trading off your happiness in one way um, for money. You're trading off your sister's happiness for money. Um, it's just a fantastic song that shows trade-offs on a, on a high-stakes decision that's not monetary. And a lot of the trade-offs in life 
are high stakes, right? I mean, do you get a cancer, you know, if you're diagnosed with a disease, do you go get cancer treatment, right? I mean, these are there are high stakes trade-off decisions people have on a daily basis. And this song with a lot of emotion and power, I think really captures trade-offs and opportunity costs. You addressed this a little bit a few minutes ago. Hmm. Is the concept of a trade-off in economics and the development of economic policy something that's alien to your students when they first come to you? Certainly all students have experienced trade-offs, but I think a lot of them will miss the idea that there are trade-offs when they're thinking about various policies. They might not realize, and you'll see this both on like the political spectrum, it's inevitable that politics comes up. Now when I, you teach the introductory level economics, it's more what we call positive analysis. It really doesn't delve into the political, um, the normative, what should we do? But it's kind of natural. I mean, you're starting to talk about the ideas of, you know, minimum wages or tax increases or tax cuts. The trade-offs come in. And a lot of individuals will come in with their political ideas thinking, well, whatever side I've heard, there must be no downside to this particular policy. And we'll action. never have to cut a deal to get it never passed. Never have to cut a deal to get it cut, of course. Yeah. And so there's... Well, I think they've all experienced that, the idea that it happens in politics. I do agree. To some, it's foreign. And so I think part of the job is that I have when teaching economics is to help make the student understand, look, these are everywhere. You've experienced them your whole life, right? You've had to figure out what you wanted to do for the afternoon. Do you want to go work perhaps and earn a few dollars or do you want to go out and have fun and you'll spend money and have less money the next day? Or, you know, what particular class do you want to take? There's trade-offs for that. Or, you know, all of the decisions in life, there's particular trade-offs. They've, they've experienced them. The idea is then Okay, let's carry that over. Those those don't just magically go away in the world of politics, in the world of economic decision-making. Does it trouble you that they come to you without this sense that there are compromises to be made to get your policy, whatever it is, enacted, and that they have to do trade-offs? Does that say something, yeah. say something you know, troubling about society today? I, I don't know that I'd go quite that far. I do, I mean... Would I love if everybody had that? Yeah, I would, I would like if they had that. They're taking, you know, I look back at myself and would I at 18 have, have of course been right? Of, of course. course, yeah, yeah. But I, I really don't think I would have. It's part of the learning process. So I don't find it troubling. And what I t tell the students when they struggle with any particular topic, if, if they understood everything in the book already, there's no need for the class, right? Part of my job is to help, to help them understand. And so... I, I don't know that I find it as as troubling as some others might find it. My hope is, uh, as far as having maximum impact, if we have individuals who come in and don't understand trade-offs and I'm able to help some people get, oh, yeah, there are trade-offs. There's trade-offs everywhere. And they come out of the class thinking that, I'll, I'll think I did a pretty good job. Matt, can you tell us any more about your Broadway economics website and which other songs or shows outside of Hamilton you, you liked for uh, teaching economics? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so it's on broadwayeconomics.com. Uh, I think... <clears throat> It's about 45 or so songs from different shows, uh, and you could see the songs. It's got the links to the lyrics, and it also has discussion questions if educators want to use these in their classes. The uh, Broadway songs are fantastic for teaching economic concepts because Broadway musicals tell stories, and a lot of the a lot of the stories are about economic issues. So, for example, one of the shows I'm seeing this afternoon is Fiddler on the Roof. If I Were a Rich Man, I think, is a fantastic song as far as teaching economic concepts. The initial, you know, you hear the title and you think, oh, yeah, that has to deal with economics. Of course, he's talking about what happens if he's rich. But there's actually, this is one of my favorite songs to use, because if you peel it back a layer, uh, there's much more to it. Uh, Tevya is singing um, 
about i think it's tevya it's the character's name uh is singing about being rich from his perspective in i believe it's 1905 russia and to tevya being rich would mean having lots of farm animals having two sets of stairs and having a wife with a proper double chin as he's saying you know a well-fed wife that's being rich you know that's that's a rich person in tevya's world so i mean i'm going to fiddler today and i'm thinking to myself i mean we are beyond anything Tevya could have imagined in terms of rich. And I think there's a powerful message about economic growth there in the economic growth that's occurred in the past 100 years or 150 years in many countries. We all lived like Tevya two, three, 400 years ago. Not all, but 95% of the world's population. There are still many parts of the world today that are incredibly poor. What has brought parts of the world to live so to be so incredibly wealthy and that there's a story there that helps illustrate uh helps kind of prime students for a lesson on economic growth and so that's one of my favorite songs and some of the same concepts are in hamilton who came from uh you know as an immigrant from the caribbean and you, you get a lot of that kind of stuff oh yeah in, yeah in that show as well yeah the first line from the song right um how does the bastard orphan son of a whore um you know become a hero and a scholar, right? That's fantastic. $10 founding father without a father. <laughs> I really like using that song in terms of kind of making students think, um, think through various issues. There's a number of songs that would illustrate ideas of economic competition. Another uh, show that's on, um, that's on Broadway right now is Something Rotten. And that show has a song called A Musical, which is kind of a big show-stopping number. Uh, but it's a nice idea. It's a nice introduction to kind of innovation and how firms might innovate because they are trying to figure out what the next best thing in theater should be. And this is in um, around 1600 in England. And they, they come up with the idea of, well, let's do a musical and all of the ideas and why this would be an innovative, innovative process. And it's, it's a great song in terms of illustrating the idea that the way that people become better off, a, a big chunk of it is when entrepreneurs come up with these ideas for a product we didn't know would make our lives better off, but they make our lives better off. And so that's a very, it's a fun song. You know, once again, part of what makes this work so well is the songs are fun and the students enjoy them and they want to listen to them over and over. And while they do that, hopefully they, uh, the songs, uh, you know, the economic concepts resonate with them. Well, uh, may maybe I'll uh, look into spinning off a separate benchmark podcast on on uh, Broadway musicals and and economics because <laughs> it's uh, Matt, you you make it sound like a really fascinating subject and uh, and really appreciate you coming in to talk with us about it today. No, thanks for thanks for having me. This has been a blast. So, uh, Dan, are you ready to go out and see Hamilton yet? If I could afford it, but <laughs> you know, if I were a rich man, but I think I might enroll in your class. How about that? Hey, uh, the more the merrier. So. All right. Well, thanks again, Matt. Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. And uh, while you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to and follow us on Twitter at, at DanielMossDC and at Scott Landman. And our guest is at, at Matthew Rosu and at Broadway Econ. See you next week. Brought to you by Sage Summit Live, the virtual conference that provides all the highlights of Sage Summit from the convenience of your desk. 
celebrity entrepreneurs, insightful workshops, absolutely free. Register at sagesummitlivestream.com. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.